invite you to turn with me, if you have a copy of God's Word, to 2 Kings chapter 4 tonight. 2 Kings chapter 4. And we'll be looking together at chapter 4, verses 38 through 44 tonight, as we continue our way through 2 Kings. Now Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was famine in the land. As the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his young men, Put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Then one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it wild gourds, filling his cloak, and came and sliced them into the pot of the stew, for they did not know what they were. So they poured it out for the men to eat. And it happened that as they were eating of the stew, they cried out and said, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they were unable to eat. But he said, now bring flour. He threw it into the pot and said, pour it out for the people that they may eat. Then there was no harm in the pot. Now a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And he said, give them to the people that they may eat. And his attendant said, what will I give this before 100 men? But he said, Give them to the people they may eat, for thus says Yahweh, they shall eat and have some left over. So he gave it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of Yahweh. Amen. Let's pray. God, we come, we ask your blessing upon now the teaching and preaching of your word. We're so grateful for what we have examined so far in this portion of your word and studying the lives of your servants, Elijah and Elisha. We pray now that you impress upon our hearts again truths concerning you, that we may know how to live in our own days and in our own time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's been a little while since we've been in 2 Kings, so I want to remind you that we're in the middle of a section here in chapter 4 in which we're learning of various miracles that God carried out at the hand or word of his servant, Elisha. Elisha means God is salvation. My God is salvation and He is demonstrating, God is demonstrating, that even in the midst of the religious blasphemy and apostasy of the northern tribes of Israel, that God is still faithful to his humble servants. Remember, he had said to Elijah that he would reserve for himself 7,000 that would not bow the knee to Baal. And God has been faithful to his word. Most of the people are going wholesale along with the, the spirit of the age. They are uh, blaspheming God. They are violating the Ten Commandments. They are worshiping. They are making and worshiping images of God that he did not command them to make. 
They are worshiping other gods when God had said, you shall have no other gods before me. And they are engaging in every kind of gross idolatry and is really a corrupt and dark period of time. And that is evidenced in the fact that in verse 38 we heard tonight that there was a famine in the land. Now, if you remember the covenant that God made with Israel when he was about to bring them into the land, that should be bring something to your attention. Um, be, rather, that should get your attention. That there was a famine in the land. This, this isn't natural in the people of God's land. This is this shouldn't be the way it, it, this isn't the way it should be. God had promised to bless his people. He had gone before his people. He had given them the land. And yet here it is in the land that God promised to his people. And there is a famine. Now there is some, uh, it's a little easy for us to have some humor in regard to this text. And I intend to tonight. But I, I do want to note that famine is serious. Um, we tend to be worried about supply chains and, and remark that there wasn't enough toilet paper or other items on the shelves. But when we're talking about famine, we're talking about, we're talking about no food. We're talking about no vegetables. We're talking about no eggs. We're talking about no meat because the animals too are starving and they are dying or they've already been butchered. We're talking about very, very little bread. You're starting to look around at your family or your neighbors and everybody's getting a little thinner. And it's not because of a New Year's uh, resolution. It is, uh, has to be a foreboding experience to look around and everybody's cheeks are becoming hollow. Uh, some have a cough that is, is indicative, indicative of, of being unhealthy. You're seeing those who are older beginning to stumble those who are little ones pining away for food, and there are moms and there are dads who desperately want to feed and help their children but have nothing to give them. And so it is a serious situation, and how can this be? How could it be that in the land that God gave to his people that there is a famine? Well, the answer is, if you want to turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 29 should be familiar to you. You should be aware of these passages because as you read the Old Testament, you are really reading the unfolding of either the blessing or the curse of God according to what he revealed to his people and had recorded in Deuteronomy chapters, well, really it begins in 27, but in 28 and chapters 28 and 29. But look with me, for example, we find here a series of blessings and curses. God promised to bless his people if they obeyed his word, if they adhered to his word. God was, God was um, by the way, God was not being unrealistic. He, he wasn't asking for some impossible standard. He was, their obedience to the law would be an expression of faith, just as it is for us. That part of our expression of our faith in the Lord and the King, the Christ Jesus, is that we love him and therefore we love his law. We love his ways. It's not a way of salvation. God wasn't setting out before his people 
an alternative gospel. But he was commanding them to obey him, and he gave them a law that would lead to their thriving. But if they did not listen, verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28, God said, it will be if you do not listen to the voice of Yahweh your God to keep and to do all his commandments, his statutes, with which I am commanding you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be in your basket and your kneading bowl. Just, we could, we'll stop there. Well, well how about verse 38? Uh, go down a little bit to verse 38, relevant to our text tonight. You shall bring out much seed to the field, but you will gather in little, for the locusts will consume it. You shall plant and cultivate vineyards, but you will neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm will devour them. You shall have olive trees throughout your territory, but you will not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives will drop off. This is all describing famine conditions. Drought, famine, and as we come to our text tonight, that's what we find, a period of famine. And at this juncture, in God's dealings with the people of Israel in the promised land, we can be certain that this famine was not any mere meteorological event. This was the active judgment of God upon the ten northern tribes, upon Israel and their rebellion against him, upon their spiritual infidelity and their apostasy. God was judging the land. And it is uh, important for us to consider tonight This is very relevant to us right now. So relevant. Do we not groan in these present times under the evil conditions in which we live? I mean, we are grateful. We recognize it could be worse. We are thankful. We have a measure of freedom. Here we are tonight in freedom, worshiping God. We're not worried about anybody coming and from the government and shutting us down. So so I'm, I'm mindful of the blessings But we live in a perverse, a crooked, a corrupt culture to a degree that truly previous generations could not have fathomed the passing of the so-called Protection of Marriage Act this past week, which, which basically put into law the defense of defending what God calls an abomination. And... We see the ripple effect upon our children. Uh, it, again, it just, I want to be careful, but it was just striking this week at uh, the school where my wife and my daughter attend and where my wife works, uh, was on lockdown along with every other school in the Concord area this past week because of calls came in threatening violence. It proved to be a hoax, but my spirit was just sick and just disturbed at the thought of what level of corruption we have come to. And we sometimes say there's nothing new under the sun. That is new. That is when you have the ability technology to threaten children by the thousands. And uh, that this hasn't been that kind of thing happened before. Welcome to the wonderful world we live in. 
And it is a world that is under the curse of God, is under the judgment of God. And really what we see is the unfolding of the judgment in Romans 1. Our culture is absolutely descending into a homosexual, transgender frenzy where people are literally losing their minds in depravity. They are debased, they are without reason, and they are increasingly becoming like animals. And I do not mean to be demeaning, it is the reality. You no longer know what a boy or a girl is or a man or a woman is. You are descending, not in, and we're talking about not one or two here, but on a cultural level, your culture is descending to a debased, cursed condition. And here we are tonight, and we are worshiping in the midst of that culture. We who are parents are rearing our children in that culture. Some have grandchildren in that culture. What are we to do? Well, here is the people of God. Here's Elisha and Uh, With him, there are sons of the prophets. Again, these are probably young preachers. These are young pastors. These maybe think of uh, uh, Elisha as a seminary president. And these are young men who love God, love his word, look up to Elisha. They are among the very few who have survived the various purges. Remember that many of the servants of Yahweh have been slaughtered. Some years ago had to be hidden in caves to escape Jezebel. And so these are good and these are godly men. And we find that they too, nonetheless, verse 38, are experiencing the famine. It's a reminder that God's people are people and God knows that. We have to eat, we have to drink, we have families. And these men had families and they had concerns and they were hungry. And notice that Elisha doesn't say, well, let's Let's sit down and pray about it. Now, apparently he has the bill. That's a good thing. I'm not, I'm not disparaging prayer. But, but in other words, I want you to notice, I think, it's, I think it's interesting. Elisha tells his servant, his young man, well, let's feed these guys. Apparently, Elisha has either the means or either he has a revelation from God that, that God is going to provide for these men And so it's very practical. These men are starving in the midst of a famine, their families. So put on a large pot. This is a big, big soup cook, kind of like the one we had. And uh, uh, Keith put out that big pot and a couple different pots. And and, uh, we got to sample both. This is is a big whopping pot, apparently, that Elisha says to put on and and boil stew for the sons of of the prophets. This is a uh, church supper, if you will, fellowship luncheon, you might call it, uh, a, a soup cook. And uh, it must have been anticipation. And again, we just trust, we don't know how, but Elisha either has the resources uh, that God had given him or either he knows that, or has a word from the Lord that God is going to provide. But then something goes terribly, terribly wrong. A well-meaning fellow goes out into the field, and he is well-meaning. He means no harm. Uh, there, he hasn't done anything wrong. There's no indication of sin here or lack of faith. He's just sincerely trying to help. We're going to have a soup cook. It's a famine. There's not much to put in the pot. So everybody goes out, and he goes out in the field and gathers some herbs and finds a wild vine. And look at that, on that vine and all these gourds, and in a famine... Time of famine, you start eating, think about eating things that you never considered eating before, I'm sure. 
I'm sure in a time of famine, uh, things that you would never have considered ever eating, uh, you, you start thinking, well, that looks, that, that leather looks pretty good. Start gnawing on that, chewing on that. Mice, whatever the case may be, gross to us right now, but, but you're not too picky when you're starving. So, all these gourds, and he, he figures, well, they, they, maybe they're not good in and of themselves, but if you throw them in a big pot and something's going to happen, it's going to be good. And, um, and it wasn't good. Uh, I have three daughters, as you know, and uh, uh, we, we all uh, remember one particular occasion. All, all three of us uh, have a, a, a cook that usually cooks for us, and uh, I can only remember one time in, uh, in, in the past uh, 27 years or so, and uh, when uh, there was a, a concern on the part of the, uh, those who were eating in, in our household about the food that was served to us, and, and there was one occasion when the girls were young, and, uh, and um, there was, uh, I think it was called 13 Bean Stew. And uh, it was prepared for us, and uh, the recipe was followed, and it was put before us, and and uh, the girls were there. And usually, the the meth, you know, like like a good parent, the message was: you eat what's put before you, or at least you take a little portion. But on this particular occasion, that's the only one I can remember. I took one little taste, and uh, I was with the kids, and it was a wholesale revolt. Uh, I think the best way to summarize it was: there was death in the stew. And uh, that's how it tasted. And uh, that recipe was never tried before <laughs> and uh, never again, rather. And um, I, I don't I'm not sure we would have survived it. I, I, Ruthie and Catherine, I, I think Phoebe was yeah, you, you were there. Uh, I'm not sure if you were eating that at that point. But um, anyways, there was death in the pot in 13 B stew. Uh, kids, if your mom serves you 13 bean stew, tell them that Pastor Gabe said you don't need to eat it. Because it, it, you might die. So, so that's not in the text, but that's an aside. Extra credit tonight. So, so uh, they, he gathered these gourds. He really meant well. You know, maybe he thought, well, there's fiber. You know, I, I don't know. There's got to be something good. It's, it's vegetables. It'll mix in with everything else. And if it's bitter, it'll work out. But the men started to eat it. And as it happened, as they were eating the stew, verse 40, they cried out and said, Oh, man of God, they're referring to Elisha, there is death in the pot. Now, in this case, they were not merely making a culinary opinion about the, the taste. Literally, apparently, men were showing signs very quickly that whatever these gourds were, they were poisonous. And uh, Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary, points out that this, if it's possible, if it's this one gourd that some scholars think that it's a, it's a, it's a vegetable that makes you very, very sick and empties everything out of you, and in a very short amount of time, you can die. And so, death in the pot. Men were sick, and and it was not a a, a pleasant scene, and. And the effects of the gourds, uh, and they didn't know, remember, they maybe didn't know exactly what was the ingredient that was the problem. They didn't maybe know that it was the gourds. Whatever the cause, people were seriously ill, rather instantaneously, from eating the stew. Uh, this was not what Elisha intended. 
when he asked his young men to put on a large pot and boil stew. Death in the pot. Now, I'm sure you can make some other sermon points about that, but I think just straightforwardly, it's just it's a time of famine. And here they were looking forward to this moment when they would have food together and through God's servant, there was going to be a, a blessing of a time to eat. And at this very time, what they hoped would be a means of grace and of encouragement actually became a means of discouragement and fear. And doubtless, Elisha was very disturbed and very concerned. They were unable to eat it. But he, again, apparently had, we're not told in verse 41, but he he knows what to do. And I don't think it's merely that he, he just wondered if flour might work. He, again, the emphasis of the whole text, this whole section, this whole chapter, Elisha is the man of God. He has the word of God. He is the representative of God in this place and at this time. And God has revealed to him that that this is how the pot, the stew, is to be made safe. Bring flour, he said, verse 41. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour it out for the people that they may eat. Then there was no harm in the pot. Now, pour it out for the people that they may eat. He takes the flour. He apparently has a word or a leading, a sure revelation from the Lord that this is what he is to do in front of the people. He is to put flour in the pot so that they may eat it. Who's going to take the first bite or the first sip? You wonder, huh? I mean, it was quite a scene. Guys are sick all over the place, and it's not just an upset tummy. They're seriously ill. There's death in the pot. And the same pot, same stew, just some flour put in by the man of God. Now, what's going on? Is this uh, telling us? (laughs) Please, please don't make this text into some um, support of organic uh, flour will make any bad stew work well. <laughs> Don't do that with this text. <laughs> it, what is going on is, again, Elisha is the man of God. He's the representative of God. And even in wicked and perverse and crooked times, God is able to minister grace to his people and bless them even in the midst of death. This is not a text at all teaching that God will always protect his people. Obviously, these men were going through the famine. And we, too, go through this culture. This culture that is, I don't think I made this clear earlier. I noted how bad our culture is. But God obviously isn't taking us out of the world right now. We're going through this as Christians. We're going through this as a church. We are living in a culture that's experiencing that depravity and all of the effects and the pain of it. We're not exempt from that. We can't go buy a piece of property somewhere and and go off and hide. It's not what God's calling us to do. God's called us to be his people, even though we may be relatively few 
to live here and to be faithful in this time, he may not always choose to save us from the experiences of living in a land under the judgment of God, but God is mindful of his people like these servants, like these sons of the prophets. He's mindful of his people in those conditions, and he's able to protect them, to provide for them, even when the culture is going to, the pot, going to pot and when there's death in the pot. God is able to bless, to give grace. Deuteronomy chapter 28 also de- declared that God would bless his people if they obeyed him. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 5, God had said, If you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh, being careful to do his commandments, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. What's in the basket and what's in the kneading bowl? Flour. And I think there is a visible indication here that God is still more than willing to bless those who in the midst of a culture and a society that is disobedient, is corrupt and rebellious, God is mindful of his people who will love him, obey him, follow his ways, and he still is able to bless them in the midst of a culture under the curse. Do you see that? He's able to bless his people even as they live in a society and a culture that is under his curse. Doesn't exempt us completely from the experience, but he protects us and he blesses us. Well, the second scene scene is a different occasion. We don't know how long his time is separated. These are just a collection of, of... peculiar events that God brought about through his servant Elisha. And in the second scene, beginning in verse 42, it is another, uh, another account recounting God's blessing in the midst of this famine. A man came from Baal Shalisha, that's his hometown, and I don't I, I, didn't tend, I didn't look up what Shalisha means, but you know what Baal means. And if you are coming from a town whose name is Baal, probably not the best thing. Um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, uh, where are you from? I'm from Satan slash something else, <laughs> right? Probably not good. I mean, Baal is Baal. It's satanic. It's evil. And so this man is from Baal Shalisha, and he brought the man of God the bread of the first fruits. Now this is interesting. This man whose town has the town has the name of Baal is a man who fears God, and according to the law of God that God had given through Moses, is setting aside a portion of his first fruits, his tithe, as it were. And interestingly, he's refusing to give it to the corrupt prophets uh, and the priests of Israel. He's not giving it to the priests of Baal, the priestesses of Asherah. He's not giving it to the 
the priests who, so-called priests who worship Yahweh and Bethel and the golden calves. He's refusing to hand over those funds to support the corrupt worship. And so he makes, takes all the trouble to find out where Elisha is, the man of God, and brings to him this offering unto the Lord, this bread of the first fruits. And just like today, offerings in the Old Testament and Old Covenant were for various reasons, but one of the reasons that God had his people give was to provide for the ministry of the word and for those who led in the worship of God. This is very similar today. And so he was bringing to support the man of God, the Elisha, who taught others who led the people in the worship of God, the true worship of God, and who truly taught the word of God. So he brought him the bread of his first fruits, and it was 20 loaves of barley. Now, when I think of a, a loaf, I, I think um, that, that must be pretty big and uh, fresh ears of grain. So I'm thinking this is a pretty good offering, a pretty good meal. But apparently, there are 100 men that need to be fed. And so then I'm thinking, well, maybe these loaves aren't too big. Or maybe it's just that men are men. <laughs> I, I was recently, uh, just a few weeks ago, as some of you know, uh, I went uh, for a Friday evening and Saturday morning men's conference. I was not the speaker. I just went uh, at the invitation of our friend Stephen Caldwell, pastor of Adirondack Bible Chapel in uh, the middle of the Adirondacks. And um, I left on a Friday morning and headed out there and and it was a wonderful conference, uh, brief, but at, at uh, Camp of the Woods there, beautiful setting, and uh, boy, does that, that camp have some good food. I mean, wow. About 160 or 70 men were there, and, and they're set up for large crowds. This is a camp in the summertime, I think, that has capacity of like two or 3,000 people. I don't know, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a big camp. In the winter, they don't usually do that much, but so they're used to feeding a lot, but but they had these uh, you know, two buffets, serving stations, and, and uh, I'm going to start getting hungry. And they had, let's see, they had, had uh, steak tips, and uh, uh, they had uh, uh, asparagus. Oh, wow, they had squash. They had, oh, it was good. And, and these rolls, and wow. And, um, but wouldn't you know it, you put 170 men in a room, and they can eat, Right? I mean, this camp was prepared, but interestingly, uh, Stephen Caldwell, uh, there's a young man who's kind of the head chef, and, and at one point he came out to Stephen Caldwell and said, I came to within a few pieces of meat of running out of what I had ordered. Uh, in other words, I can't remember how much meat was consumed, but it was astronomical. And uh, I don't know, but you put men together and somehow they can eat. Uh, I don't know what that's saying about us. I don't maybe uh, just get men away, <laughs> give them a chance to eat what they want, and uh, they have at it. So, so, but apparently in this occasion, um, whatever it was, whether these men were, were good eaters or whether these were little loaves, we're faced with a situation where the, the man who is charged by Elisha to feed them is, is kind of feeling like, uh, the disciples, when they saw just a few fishes and, and loaves, it's not enough to feed a crowd of this size. 
Not enough. The attendant said to Elisha, what, verse 43, will I give I give this before 100 men? In other words, this isn't enough. This isn't going to feed these guys. Not these little barley loaves. But Elisha said, give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says Yahweh, again, this is a, the word of the Lord. They shall eat and have some left over. And wouldn't you know it, verse 44, he gave it before them. They ate and had some left over. And here's the key. According to the word of Yahweh. What God says, God does. We hear that again and again and again. But if God says he will provide, he will provide. And again, in this text, I think we're being, the em- emphasis is that God is able to sustain his faithful remnant of servants in a cursed culture and to give them grace and even bless them. I find that so encouraging. I need to hear that tonight, and so do you. We're not going to be exempt from the pain of living in this culture under judgment from God. But we can know that God is mindful of where we live, that Christ is mindful of where we live, and that he will give us grace for every trial. And he can provide. I I still, with many of you, if you were here Wednesday night at our members meeting, I am still, and I think this is good, I think we should be overwhelmed. Whereas a year ago we had stepped out in faith to purchase this building, our relatively small church with the limited funds we had, with fear and trembling, but with good reasoning, we stepped out and we said, well, we think this is what the Lord is leading us to do. And God has promised, according to his word, to provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And we learned this church that we need a place of assembly. It's not in the want category. It's in the need. If we're going to assemble and not forsake the assembling of the people of God for worship, we need to have a place to assemble. So we banked on that. We held on to that. God's going to provide. We don't know. We don't see. And if you think back, even at that time we'd had in the summertime, we'd said goodbye to some families that we love. We were smaller, little, little, frightening, at least in the leadership. And here we are, and the Lord, a year later, has provided us far exceedingly more funds than we have ever received in the 14-year history of this church, not even close. It is shocking, in a sense, (laughs) what the Lord has done. Is it not? Shouldn't be shocking, but, but that God not only provided the funds that we needed We presume for an HVAC system and over and above. And um, I remember, and some of the men with us, I'll close, uh, that old hymn, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, when our strength is done ere the day is half done. um, Our fathers, I'm skipping ahead, our fathers' giving has only begun. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. He is able to meet our needs in the midst of even this culture.
and he's proven it in so many ways. Let's bless him and thank him. Father, so we pause to give you thanks and to acknowledge that according to your word, that you will supply all our needs as we serve you, even in these dark days, even as our hearts grieve and groan at the wickedness we see in our culture and society. We pray that you would strengthen our hearts, our faith tonight, that we would remember that even when, as it were, there's death in the pot and there isn't enough bread to go around, that you are mindful of your people. And though you may permit us to suffer at times, we may even go hungry, as we know brothers and sisters do around the world. But even in the midst of our trying circumstances, you will not leave us or forsake us, and you will accomplish all your holy purposes. We love you for this, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.